This is Brent Weinbach with a couple of announcements before we begin this episode. One, Donnie Devanian and I will be recording a live Pointed Questions podcast episode in Phoenix, Arizona on Thursday, October 25th as part of the All Things Comedy Festival. The recording will start at 5.30 p.m. and will take place at the ATC Pop-Up Studio, which is at 1 East Washington Street, Phoenix, Arizona, 85003. It's free to attend, and all are welcome. For more information on that, you can visit allthingscomedy.com festival. Two, if you listen to other podcasts I host, then you already know this, but in case you don't, I would like to mention that I have a stand-up special, which is now available on Amazon Prime, called Appealing to the Mainstream. It's free to watch if you have Amazon Prime, and if you don't, you can still rent or purchase it on Amazon, iTunes, and other streaming outlets. And if you like it, feel free to rate and review it on Amazon, which helps spread the word about it. And now, without further delay, here's episode 23 of Pointed Questions. Welcome to Pointed Questions. My name is Brent Weinbach. With me is Donnie Devanian. Our guest today is planetary geologist Laura Kerber. We will be talking to her about outer space and robots on this episode of Pointed Questions. Is your favorite planet Mars? Uh, my favorite planet is actually Mercury. Well, how come? Uh, because I feel like it's um, the lesser planet that nobody pays attention to. You know, there's like the mainstream planets and then there's the sort of alternative planets. And so that's why I like Mercury. Is Mars a mainstream planet? Yeah. Uh, for a long time, NASA's had a Mars program. So it's had its own separate dedicated program that we just send lots of spacecraft to Mars. So we know a lot about Mars, but then there's certain other planets we've only visited once or twice. So what makes a planet mainstream is if they have their own program? Yeah, and what really... If we're dedicated to exploring it in a comprehensive way, and Mars, I mean, I love Mars, don't get me wrong. It's, we explore Mars because it's one of the most interesting and Earth-like planets and one of the most promising planets for living on in the future. So. It's the most promising out of all the planets in the solar system. Right, I think so. Uh, that, yeah. uh, uh, as alternatives to Earth. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, there's some people, there's the sort of can we live there question and then the is something else living there question. And mm. so right now there's some popularity of icy moons around Saturn and Jupiter where they the outside is ice and the interior is an ocean. And so people are like, well, something could definitely live there, but it's not easy for humans to live there. So Mars is still It would be one. too cold. Yeah. yeah, it's too cold and then it's just an uh, entire ocean. So Has anything landed ocean. on those moons? Uh, We haven't had anything land on the moons. We've had a couple spacecraft going around in the system, the Jupiter system and Saturn system. And then actually right now there are plans being made to land something on the icy moon of Europa. So that's pretty exciting going on at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Europa is, uh, goes around which planet? Jupiter. Jupiter. Okay. Do you know every single moon? No, I don't. um, Because Jupiter and Saturn, they have you know, maybe 60 moons each. Oh, wow. And so uh, I I know all the major moons, but not the lesser moons. Are there mainstream moons? And uh, There are mainstream uh, moons. Like, for example, on Jupiter, there's four what we call the Galilean satellites, and those are the ones that were discovered by Galileo. And um, they're pretty large. They're some of them almost like as large as our moon. And they... Um, 
They're named after the mythological lovers of Jupiter. <laughs> so you have Io, Ganymede, Europa, and Callisto. Oh. Now, are there any moons on bigger planets that are the size of regular planets? Um, so what I mean is, um, you know, really big planets. What's the biggest planet in the solar system? Oh, Jupiter. Oh. Jupiter. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, you didn't? I thought you? maybe it was Venus. But. I don't know. Oh, so the, Venus is the largest planet in the sky, mm. but just because it's close to us. And you don't count Pluto as a planet anymore, right? I don't. And yeah. the reason is because we started finding all of these other planet-like things out beyond the orbit of Pluto, and some of them are larger than Pluto. So either you have to welcome five more planets, so, yeah, if you're 20 call, more planets. If or you're going to call Pluto a planet, then you've got a lot more planets yeah. to call. So you planets. can just get rid of Pluto and then everything. How many more? How many of those entities would be are out there that were found actually well so there are you know thousands and thousands of them out there but there's only a few that are quite large and i think the number is something like you know four new ones that they found and those revolve around the sun yes uh -huh. so you know the comets a comet comes through every once in a while they come from that region of the solar system it's a region of the solar system totally filled with chunks of ice so you have the asteroid belt between mars and jupiter filled with rocky asteroids and then they found this other belt uh filled with essentially comets future comets and whenever one of those those comet ice bodies get perturbed it goes towards the sun and then that's when we see it starts melting and you get a tail out behind it and stuff Mm -hmm. Now, do you think space is scary? I mean, yeah, it's very dangerous. The further you go out into outer space, is it the scarier it gets? I, yeah. So so what I mean, what yeah. I mean is, is this. You is mean like, obviously, metaphysically? Or <laughs> well, just the further you go out into the distance, is that scary? The fur, you know what I mean? Because you're farther from home. Uh, yeah, it's or just so d it's deeper into the, the unknown. I guess. Yeah, I think something. the further you would go out, the less likely it would be that you would ever find your way home. And there's these mysterious planets out there that they've found, where it's a planet that doesn't revolve around any sun at all, and it just floats in darkness in the middle of space. And they're I planets. Think, yeah, they're I full planets. Yeah, they're huge, big, huge planets just out there in the interstellar space. Huh, and they don't revolve. Do they, do they rotate? Uh, we don't actually know um, mm -hmm. what they do. We've sort of detected them, but they kind of... Is this, it's as if, like, so you have gravity around a star and everything's attracted to that star. But if your planet is moving really fast, then it could escape the gravitational attraction of a star and float off into space. And that's kind of what's happened to these planets. Huh. Do you feel like the ocean is like space? Yeah. Well, I often say that there's three final frontiers left for mankind. Space, the o depths of the sea, and the human mind. <laughs> and uh -huh. so the ocean to me is like another one of these giant final frontiers that we really haven't finished at all discovering what's down there. Right. We know less about the ocean, no? We know. Uh, well, so... I, th I would say we know less about space just because space goes on and on forever. Mm. Um, but, you know, if you say, like, do we know more about the ocean or about the surface of Mars, that might be a tie because we actually know an enormous amount about the surface of Mars, where the ocean is a lot harder to take images of. Because mm. space is infinite, is that hard for you to to deal with <laughs> I mentally? Used to, <laughs> I used to sit around on my lawn when I was in high school and just talk to my sister and say, 
the space did you know space is infinite and uh, and the universe is vast and she would she doesn't like that stuff she doesn't like to talk about death or infinity or anything and so she'd be oh, can we go inside please but i love that stuff you know you want to go out into outer space yeah i would definitely go out in outer space if i could go to space like low earth orbit or to the moon or something i would instantly do it if really? i yeah if i oh. if i was signed up to go to mars i'd actually have to think about it a little more because, oh really yeah. oh, how come um because <coughs> space is really horrible for your body mm. and um you're just pelted with radiation and the astronauts on the way to the moon they when they close their eyes they could see little flashes when like charged particles hitting their retina and destroying their oh. retina so and then your bones start to degrade and your muscles atrophy when you're in low, no, zero G for a really long time. And if you have a big solar flare with radiation coming out of the sun, that could kill you instantly. And Ooh. so there's so many th weird things that happen in your body when you're in space. And so the trip to the moon takes about four days. That's fine. Go to the moon, spend some days there, come back. Um, on the way to Mars... You know, are you going to be in your spaceship when something horrible happens and the sun sets out a solar flare? You have no idea. And so... The further you go, the higher the risk. Yeah. So you'd have to kind of have these safe havens. I think about it like crossing the Sahara Desert. They'd have the oasis. You'd kind of go uh, from oasis to oasis. In oh, your are there oasis mm -hmm. on the way to Mars? So I think we don't have any oasis on the way to Mars. <clears throat> what people want to do is to make the moon into some sort of oasis and have a base there. And then they would make a base on Mars, and they'd mm. try and make a nice place with re to refuel oxygen, et cetera. Um, maybe on Phobos, which is the moon of Mars, so you don't have to go all the way to the surface. And then that way, we can create these little stockpiles and move further and further into the solar system and not feel so afraid. Because even if the Earth's far away, we have a home base that's close yeah, by. Yeah, like a safe point. In, in actual space, the moon doesn't make a very good lily pad on the way to Mars, but what it mm -hmm. in in the space of rocketry it does because when you go when you're trying to leave the Earth, it takes about as much energy to get from the Earth into space as it takes to get from space to Mars, mm. because the gravitational of well of the Earth is so deep and it's hard to get out of it. And so the idea is if you have a base on the Moon, the Moon's gravitational well is very shallow comparatively, and so it takes a lot less energy to get off mm. the Moon. Okay, so that's why it could be a, a stepping stone. A, yeah, or an oasis of sorts. Yeah. yeah. To hit that escape speed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not hard to get off the Moon. Yeah, not compared to the Earth. How long would it take to walk around the entire Moon? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, how big is the moon, really? Um, the moon... It's pretty small. I think it's about a quarter the size of the Earth or something. Could you walk around the moon in a month? No, it would take a really long time. Oh, okay, it yeah. would take longer. Okay. Yeah, the moon is pretty enormous, <laughs> mm -hmm. actually. So if you think, you know, at Jupiter and all of its moons, Jupiter is enormous, like the size of 300 Earths or something like that. But it, all of its moons are smaller than our moon. And so you can think that's a huge size difference between Jupiter and all of its moons, whereas the Earth and the moon are actually not that different from each other in size. Mm -hmm. And so, and we have the largest satellite with respect to our size in the solar system, except for Pluto, <laughs> which has a moon that's almost the same size as it. 
Um, but the effect that the moon has on the Earth because of this is that the Earth's axis is tilted and it spins tilted on its axis, and that's why we have seasons. And then the tilt of the Earth slowly changes over a cycle of like 11,000 years, and um, that's why we change from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius and all of those things. That's mm. like what that's kind of like where our axis is tilting, uh, pointed, and so the moon being so close to us, make sure that our axis doesn't change a lot over time. It changes a couple degrees over long periods of time. Whereas on Mars, doesn't have a big moon like that. It can change from its axis being pointed straight up to almost 60 degrees lying over on its side. And a result of that, Mars has crazy climate shifts throughout history. Whereas the Earth has tiny climate shifts, and that's one of the reasons why we think the Earth was a good place to have life, because it was so stable over so many long years. It wouldn't be possible to live on the moon? You could live on the moon, but it would be one of those places. We talk about exploration in stages, um, exploration, pioneering, settlement, and then finally, um, independence. And so on the moon, it's hard to be ever independent because it doesn't have oxygen and it doesn't have a lot of the resources that we have on the earth to like build an actual independent society. You'd always be shipping things from the earth to replenish your stores. Mm -hmm. Whereas on Mars, it has water and it has a lot of other important minerals. And so you could say potentially in the future, if you built up a nice enough colony, then you could be totally independent from the earth. Is there a lot of water on Mars? Yes, there is a lot. So, And there's a lot of frozen water, too. It's all frozen. Oh, it's all frozen. It's okay. all either frozen or it's in gaseous form in the atmosphere, but the amount that's gas is very, very small. There's no running water there? There isn't. And yeah. so the, the, what we argue about all the time and what we announce all the time in the news is whenever we find water that might be just ever so slightly liquid sometimes, then we're all very excited because the pressure and temperature of Mars is such that liquid is just barely able to be uh water is just barely able to be liquid and so you make like little gullies and like little tiny streams in the present day and in the past we had tons of streams and rivers and lakes and so we're always trying to figure out what happened to mars between long time ago and now that made it so now it's like just barely possible to have liquid water how long mars. ago we're we talking we're talking uh, 3.8 billion years ago oh. do you personally believe that there at least used to be life on Mars? I don't know. I think all of my colleagues would say yes. We just have to keep looking for it. I'm kind of like, well, we haven't found it yet. So there's no, yeah. So, uh, we haven't looked that many places, it's true. Um, and we're sending a, a rover in 2020 that's really going to have a good look and bring back some samples. Um, but I think at some point, it, I don't think life necessarily had to arise everywhere. A lot of people think that it was really, that life just arises everywhere where, where the conditions are right. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think we can prove that since we only have one example. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, you like Mercury the most because it's not mainstream. You yeah. like underdogs. Yeah. You like the underdog planets. Yeah. Well, first of all, what are the underdog planets? What are the mainstream planets? And what else about Mercury well, do you like so much? I would say mainstream planets are Mars... Um, Jupiter and Saturn. And Earth, obviously. And Earth. Earth is huge. Like. <laughs> By the way, is Earth's moon, Is that does that have a name? Because all these other moons have names? 
Yeah, it's we argue about that too because we just call it the moon with capital yeah. M, and then right. whenever people spell it with a lowercase M, we're like, no, because how can you? Tell okay, it so its proper name is moon. The moon. Yeah, some people call it Luna, but that's a recent thing. I think most people call it the moon. So it's a capital with a capital M. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and actually, is the proper title the moon, or can you call it moon but with a capital? Um, you have to call it the moon when it's kind of like the earth. People argue about that too, whether you can just say earth this, earth that. Well, or people you have say, to say, oh, I'm the earth. Oh, we're flying we're to earth. We're from earth. Yeah. If we're flying to earth, or we're from earth. And you that probably wouldn't say I'm from moon. In fact, the the earth doesn't that make it sound like it's not a proper name? I uh, I don't know. <laughs> if you say the earth, earth well, the sounds like more of a proper name. The and then thing about the word earth is because we use it also to s- describe like uh, soil. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I fell to the earth or I took some earth in my hand or something. And mm-hmm. so we capitalize earth to, to distinguish it from that kind of earth. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. And um, then uh, I guess so non-mainstream planets. Okay, so I'm uh, sorry, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, yeah. and Earth. Those yeah. are the mainstream. And why are those mainstream again? Um, those are the they ones have their that own programs. Pe- yeah, well, not all of them have their own programs, I guess. The outer planets have their programs, but they each recently had a big flagship mission that went to them. Flagship missions are th- the most expensive, important missions. So Saturn recently had yeah. a mission called Cassini that went there. It was around Cassini for almost 20 years and took a million pictures. And then in the 90s, it was Jupiter, this mission Galileo, whereas Uranus and Neptune... N- those underdog planets they're really far away and we've really only flown past them once is uranus a better way to pronounce this planet (laughs) that's what we pronounce it usually so so uranus is never used that pronunciation no unless so people making a joke okay because it seems as though people are taught that it's called uranus yeah but it's actually Uranus. Well, I actually don't know where that comes from because it could be that it's actually Uranus and because people don't want to say that, they just started calling it Uranus in uh, academic circles. <laughs> huh. Because <laughs> sometimes if you study something with a terrible name, and it might be why Uranus is an understudied planet. Like, I was studying this oh, Really? Volcano. You think because of the name it might be understudied? <laughs> well, I was studying this volcano and it was called Terhena Patera because um, Patera is a Latin term and it's a feminine term. But then they decided it shouldn't be a Patera, which means plate-like feature. It should be a Mons, which means mountain. But then we had to change the gender of the name Terhena from Terhena to Terhanus. Suddenly, I was studying Terhanus Mons, and I was like, forget it. I'm not going to study that. Oh, really? You <laughs> stopped studying it because <laughs> yeah, of the name? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't the only reason. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if Mars was called Uranus. You know? Yeah, I know. Well, it could... I mean, really, wouldn't the pronunciation actually be Uranus? <laughs> yeah, probably. Or something yeah. like that? Well, it was funny because we had a, a meeting in Europe one time, and they named all the rooms after planets Mm -hmm. and then um i was sitting in this meeting when they were planning it and they said well do you think it's bad that we're gonna have this uranus room and don't you think the americans will think that's funny and the guy my boss looks over at me french guy and he's like oh do you think that's funny laura and i was already texting my friends like ah they they named it the uranus room and then the whole time at the conference everyone's like uh, well, I'll be in Uranus all afternoon, so I'll see. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> like a lot of interesting things going on in Uranus, so I'll see you there. So the underdog planets are Mercury and well, the, Venus, all the other ones. Venus, yeah. Venus and Mercury. Yeah. Venus, Mercury, Uranus, and Neptune. <laughs> and um, 
And why Mercury of all of all four of those that are particularly interest you? Well, so one of the first things I did when I was in graduate school is get involved in a mission to Mercury. And they hadn't visited Mercury since 1973. And when they visited it, they only took an images of half of it because they were, it's really hard to get to Mercury because it's right next to the sun. So your spacecraft gets going super fast and then Mercury's really small, so it can't slow you down very much. And so you just go blazing on by and into the sun. So they had You go to, into the sun? Yeah, eventually you just go well, into ha- the sun. Have there been spacecrafts that have gone into the sun directly uh, oh, into the know, sun we've had some kind of solar probe mission but i actually think there's a solar probe mission coming up that will be the one that goes closest to the sun it's going to go well within the sun's atmosphere all stars are the sun they're all different um but they're similar to the sun but they're all fiery they're all fiery entities. fusion engines essentially mm-hmm. yeah just different sizes and intensities. Is it, is, and it's possible for certain spacecrafts to survive being in the sun. Well, so the sun is kind of a, since it's a hazy ball of burning gas, it it is gradually goes out into the solar system. And so you can get a certain distance into the sun, but no spacecraft could survive, you know, closer in. It would just completely just uh, annihilate it. It's it like just thousands and thousands of degrees. And right. Yeah, it would just burn up. What's the and biggest uh, star? Is there um, one Is there one? I don't know if star there's... that's by far the biggest? There's big stars. Um, now we're getting into astronomy, which is out of... Oh, we'll but talk it, about it. <laughs> but it's... Like um, Michael Jackson? Yeah, you star. get... Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you get kind of a sequence of stars, and some of them are bright white and blue and giants. There's oh, they're different giants. colors. Like there's a star, Betelgeuse, I think it's pronounced. Betelgeuse. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> and um, it's red, a red giant. Well, oh, you can, when you look at it in the sky, you see it looks red. But, but it's many, many Our sun, sun or... Oh, I mean, the sun with a capital yeah. S. It's like orange and and stuff. It's orange and yellow. It's a yellow star. It's yellow. Yeah, yeah. and that's a, the sun is a medium-sized star. And so the trade-off also... There are, they're blue stars? Yeah. Uh-huh. They're blue and white stars. So is it... And red stars. Is there actual fire on the sun or in the sun? Um, it's not fire in the sense that we think of fire because fire is like a chemical reaction consuming oxygen. That's not what the sun is doing. The sun is is more like a nuclear fusion engine. It's smashing together atoms of hydrogen and helium mostly. And then as they smash those atoms together to make heavier atoms, um, it releases enormous amount of energy. So it's it's energy and what is the energy made out of? Um, photons. So oh. it's more like light than it is oh, like it's fire. Like light. Yeah. So it's really an, a light orb. Yes. It's a giant light orb. Yeah. Huh. And the light is different colors depending on what... what, what on what, kind of how hot it's burning. Oh, really? Yeah. So is blue cooler or hotter? Hotter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blue is hotter. Yeah. It's the it's hottest, th- no? Yeah. Blue. What's the hottest color? Uh, it should be blue. And then what's the coolest color? Red. Red. So it's kind of like the and same. And then it goes through the color spectrum of from red to blue, and that's yeah, orange and all those things. It's kind of like. Um, Is there green ones? If you think about a poker that glows red, mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. um, so there's the infrared. It's all this electromagnetic spectrum of light. Yeah. And we can only see a small amount of it. Right. And so if you have something that's hot, it's giving off energy in the form of photons. But it's in the infrared. You can't see it, but we're 
have evolved so we can feel it. And then when it, once it gets so hot that the frequency of the photons is higher, it goes into what we can see on the red side. And then if it gets white hot, it's really, really hot. So it's oh, kind white. of white hot. You know, if you have like a white hot poker. Um, mm -hmm. So that shows you. It actually is white. Yeah, it burns. Like if you, yeah, if you have a metal thing and you stick it into a, a blacksmith's fire or something, mm -hmm. you can make it red and then it gets orange and then eventually you can make it glow white hot mm -hmm. if it's really, really And then hot. white, it goes to blue eventually? Yeah. Huh. And then it goes off the other end to UV is um, more energetic form of photons that we can't see, but that's why UV rays, when they hit our skin, they come from the sun. The sun puts off a huge amount of energy and the peak of it is in this kind of visible range. And that's why human beings have evolved to see in that range because they take advantage of where the sun's light is brightest. Um, but the sun also has uh, UV rays and X-rays, and then on the other side it has radio waves and uh, near-infrared waves. And so, um, yeah, the sun's UV rays, we can't see them, but they, they're such high energy that they, that they disrupt our molecules on our skin, and that's why they give us skin cancer. Does it go to green eventually? Is that possible? No. No. So green's not in there. Yeah. Because it's at that point you can't even see it. Is it po after it's blue? Does it get even hotter where you, it's just no color? I don't think so. Okay. And then, um, so going back to mercury. Mm -hmm. So what's going on with mercury? Yeah. So um, they ha we had this um, mission in 1973. It took a picture of half of the planet, and then that was it. It flew by three times. Took what's a it picture made out of? Half. Mercury. It's made out of rocks. It's a rock. And, then and this has, is the closest one to the yeah, sun. Its yeah, its core, the interesting thing about mercury is that its core takes up about 75% of its volume. So if you think of the Earth, we have this tiny metal core in the middle, and then we have a big uh, mantle around it, and then we have a crust that's small. Mercury has this enormous core, and then this little crust that uh -huh. lies on top. Mm. And so people still don't know why. Is it because it used to be the core of a much larger planet and then it got hit by something and vaporized the outside of the planet? Or is it just because it's so close to the sun that the only thing that could condense in the early times of the solar system was metal because <laughs> it condenses first and so that's why Mercury has so much metal. So, And when I uh, was studying it, it was about 2009 and we were we'd had our first fly by a Mercury since 1973, and we got to see the other half of the planet. So everyone in my lab had a globe of Mercury with pictures of it. The other side was totally blank. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of why I love Mercury, because it was such a mystery to go into this situation where, okay, we're going to fly by this planet. The one half of the planet is completely unknown, and we got to look at it for the first time. So you were of the first people to see what was on the other half of Mercury. Yeah. Oh. So we got to sit there in a, a conference room. It was like late at night, you know, 6 p.m. or did, 7 p.m. They and, just came in? And the photos came down. Anything of note that you saw? Well, so we we weren't sure if Mercury had any volcanoes. And um, we hadn't seen any evidence that there was volcanoes on the other side. And then when we saw this side, there was a huge, obvious volcano. Really? And so everyone was like, yeah. And there was one guy on the team who was left over from the original team in 1973, and he was he was almost going to cry. Oh, he was wow. like, "I never thought I would live to see the other side." So Whoa. you watched his reaction? Yeah, it was. Oh, pretty did th incredible. that make you emotional? Yeah, and you know, all the people 
I kind of showed up right when the fun stuff was going to happen. But all these people, they work for decades getting this mission approved and built and flown. And it took a while to get there because it had to take this circuitous route through the solar system so it wouldn't run into the sun. And so then, you know, I show up at the last minute like, oh, hey, what's new right. on Mercury? Is um, working in this field um, and making discoveries, does that is that emotional for you? Yeah, I think so. Does it make you cry? Uh, Have you ever cried because of something from... I have never cried, but yeah. I'm not, I, well, I wouldn't say, I, I cry at like random Kodak commercials or something, but I, I don't think but like. But you haven't cried because of a scientific discovery in no, space or something no, like that. Even moved, maybe. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. And how do we know what is at the core of the earth? Did, is there something that went all the way down to the center? No, we, n- uh, we never have. We do it in a couple different ways. Mostly we use earthquake energy, so seismic waves, and seismic waves travel differently through, um solids and liquids Hmm. and so we sit there with a bunch of seismometers and then we measure when an earthquake happens what's going on with all the waves and when they all arrive and then we can figure out what percentage of the earth is made of solid metal versus liquid metal versus liquid rock yeah how do you know it's metal versus rock it's kind of like if you take say you had a scarf and a rug and you send waves through it by shaking it mm-hmm. um those two will react really differently sure. to weight and so that's kind of what we do as as a wave a seismic wave going through a, a medium of a particular property so the way that the wave is, a- yeah, is the amplitude reacting of the or wave reacting and how it, when it, it arrives it's telling you there's metal down there yeah and then the other way you can do it is you f- say if you fly a spacecraft around the earth and you pay really attention close attention to um the way the spacecraft moves and the gravity of the Earth and everything, you can kind of tell, since the Earth is spinning, w- how its mass is arranged. And we, the analogy we use here is like the ice skater, that if she has her arms flung out, then she spins slowly and she brings them in, she spins really fast. So you've, if you have a big metal core and most of your mass is towards the middle, then you would spin a lot faster than something that had its mass that was more equally distributed. And so you figure out... Um, the moment of inertia is what we call of the of the planet, and so that's how we were able to figure out Mercury, for example, that had this giant metal core. We can't see Mercury's metal core, but we can fly around it and be, oh my goodness, it it's has fast. it it has this enormous mass in the middle. Do you think you might? Oh, well, you said one of the theories was that something it might have been way bigger and something hit it, but is it like the core to the surface, like? the similar distance throughout the planet? We like, had, like yeah. wouldn't it just chip off one corner, like part of the right, planet? Right, in order for the, for the plan to work is you'd have to have something hit it so strongly that it would kind of disrupt the whole planet and melt the whole thing and almost make the whole thing a vapor and then it would have to recondense. Oh, and then what would happen is all the metal would be much harder to vaporize and so it would kind of stay around and all of the crust would vaporize and be carried off by the solar wind. But yeah, if you had something that was only strong enough to just chip off a piece, then we would. that's what we would right. see. And we see in some other planets like... Uh, Mercury has one of the largest impact basins in the solar system. This huge object hit Mercury and made this giant crater. Um, so that was like, th- it wasn't large enough to disrupt Mercury or vaporize it. Was anything. that crater on the mystery side? or was We it had just seen the edge of that crater in 1973. We could see just the mm-hmm. like one third of it on the, on the terminator of Mercury. Do you immerse yourself in old findings 
Yes, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And, yeah. and you need to know all that, right? right? Because to sometimes be doing the current stuff. what happens is you you're like, oh, I discovered this thing, and and uh, you don't realize, oh, people have discovered it every ten years because they stopped reading like ten years. Sure, long, you know. And so I think you could make a whole career, honestly, just reading the literature that people have already written and mm-hmm. coming up with new discoveries because um, it's a there's a lot there, and you can learn tons from uh, the people in Are the past. Are you bored by Earth because it's so familiar at this point or what? Or do you, are you interested in earth? I'm, I love the earth and I spend, I like camping and that's one of the big reasons I became a geologist because I like to be outside. And so I like to use the earth as a analog for understanding processes on other planets. And so I'll go out into the most remote desert of the earth and then where there isn't any water and it looks just like Mars. And then I'll use earth to understand how the other planets work. Earth is so complicated that I'm always so glad that we were born here because if we tried to figure it out far from not being here, it would be almost impossible, I mm-hmm. think. So So the fact that, you know, we're on the Earth, all of the processes are here. Water and impact craters and volcanoes, and they're all happening right now. Like, a lot of other planets don't have active volcanoes. Is, is Earth the mo- most complicated planet in the solar system? I would say yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. But do you By think a long margin. <laughs> Do you think there's another Earth out there, though, somewhere out there? There definitely could be. And one of the other things that we do um, that I don't personally do, but some of my friends are exoplanet scientists. And so the... Exoplanet? Exoplanet. So an exoplanet is a planet that we've discovered around a different star. And so um, that's a huge thing that's been happening recently. They went from maybe one or two exoplanets in the 90s to now we have thousands of exoplanets that we found just through better telescopes. And so at first we were just finding Jupiter-sized uh, planets, really big ones, because that's all we could see. Now we're at the point where we're finding actual Earth-sized planets, and that's really exciting. So we're looking for Earth-sized planets in a place around the star where you could have liquid water, and that's where we would m- like to look for life. Ha- th- have you found, or has anyone found Earth-like planets? Yes. Yeah, so that look, they look like Earth. Most of what we can tell right now is just how big it is. Oh, um, you can't see if there's water or see. like clouds and stuff yeah. like that or whatever? it's because we don't, our telescopes are just, the way that we see them is that we look at a star and then we wait for the planet to cross in front of the star and then the light of the star just dims just a little bit and we can tell that the planet has crossed in front so we could guess how big it is. And the other way we do it is the planet, if it's big enough, it's going around its star and it tugs on the star a little bit and it wobbles back and forth and we, we can tell, okay, we've got a planet about this big. Um, so it's we're really working hard on new generation of telescopes that we'll be able to see like the atmosphere so we could see is there water in the atmosphere, or oxygen or methane or other interesting things that might signal life. Um, but we're not we're just on the edge of those kinds of discoveries. Um, what's the farthest a spacecraft has gone into space? Um, so the most distant spacecraft that's still sending us data is the Voyager spacecraft. And um, there was Voyager 1, Voyager 2. I don't know which one's further away. But they send us this beep, and it takes hours and hours. But they are basically just left the solar system a couple of years ago. And they're out in interstellar space. And it was so weird because... Um, is in- what does interstellar space mean? Interstellar space is, um, like I was talking about, those planets that aren't gravitationally... At- uh, attached to any star it's you have the sun and then you have some other star and each of those has its own solar oh, it's, systems it, they're, and it's they're the not in their own them. 
want yeah. they're in their own thing it's like it's if a, you were hanging out there you yeah. wouldn't fall into the gravity right. well of either star you're yeah, just okay. out there in so space. there's a thing outside there's oh and how how are pictures of the galaxy taking of how do they take pictures of the galaxy if they're not far enough to take a picture of it right so the milky way they just take pictures of the milky way and then they have to digitally make them into a galaxy because we can't see we can see the milky way like looking we're kind of in an arm of the spiral galaxy and so we're looking towards the center of our galaxy so you can take pictures of the galaxy all around us but you ha if you see an image that is the Milky Way, it's a false image. It uh -huh. can be made from real. So that's data, not real. It's, it's I mean, a, that's not a real photo. That was. It could it's, be. It's it, like a hypothesized idea of what you it could take like. a bunch of pictures and then kind of rearrange them so it looked like as it looked from far away. Um, but you can't just. You would never have that view. Well, we no one. You've never. You've never gone that far. Nobody's away. ever gone that far. Yeah. yeah. And um, so there's there's a spacecraft in interstellar space. Yeah. And. Is what's going on with that? Well, it was really interesting because, of course, it has a bunch of cameras. No one's on that, obviously. No, right? uh, though they put a plaque with a bunch of information about the human race, just in case if anyone found it, then they could find us and send us a message. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, it, the, one of the few instruments that's still working is the magnetometer, and um, the sun has this enormous magnetic field that, and all of these charged particles going out into space that we call the solar wind. And then if you get out beyond that, I guess it, usually a magnetic field has magnetic field lines. And so we're like, okay, we're going through all these magnetic field lines. We got to the edge of the solar system. And then it was more like a magnetic foam where there'd just be kind of random lines that were circles that kind of floating out there in space. And it was just a very, very strange magnetic environment. And so it sent back all this data and everyone was like, what is going it, on? It's not, there? is it taking pictures out there? It isn't, it's too dark. Ah. It's so far away that the sun just looks like another star. Yeah, it's mm. really dark out there. Huh? Yeah, even from Pluto, they took these pictures back at the sun from Pluto. It's the sun is so dark. And, and we were f we just sent a spacecraft past Pluto. Um, NASA did uh, a couple years back, and that one, it it was so fascinating because they had to do all this crazy stuff to the camera and these exposures because you're flying past it like really really fast, and then you're taking a picture in essentially the dark, and you have to get a crystal clear picture of the surface of pluto and so um that was a really hard challenge that those people on the mission had to face um and uh has a spacecraft ever flown into a black hole no because that you know the closest black hole is much further away than the edge of our solar system oh really yeah there's no black holes even close to us no so like in the movie interstellar they're like oh we found a black hole behind saturn it's like no we looked. Do it's you watch every <laughs> space-related movie that comes out? I watch most of them. Uh -huh. Yeah, the recent ones anyway. And they, you like them or are they, you disappointed? Oh, <laughs> I love them, you know. Like <laughs> The Martian was everyone's favorite because it was really accurate. Oh, it was? Yeah. Uh -huh. It was really well done. And then, you know, there's the more sci-fi type ones and people will roll their eyes at the how they've ignored physics or something. Right, but right. Even Interstellar, you know, okay, there's no black hole behind Saturn. We already know that. But just the idea of traveling through space. And they took a lot of, um, they had talked to a lot with Kip Thorne, who is a professor at Caltech, and um, really gotten into this, some of the weird physics that surrounds black holes and out in space. So I was happy that they took that leap into some of the truly weird things that are out there. So people you work with and yourself, are you excited about 
people or other life forms finding stuff? If they found Finding it. that, say, that Voyager. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, I mean, do they, it, do most people you work with, are, are they pretty excited about other life forms out there? And do they feel that there are life forms out there that could find I think find in our field, it's a little bit um, fringe. You know, like if someone's like, oh, I'm so excited for aliens to find this Voyager plaque. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, we talk about that theoretically, but we don't. We don't like believe and talk about aliens. <laughs> Do you work with anybody who does really believe in aliens, hardcore? No. Okay, oh, really? No. I mean, everyone believes in like life out there. Yeah. Like if we could, oh yeah, sure, there's life out there and maybe there's microbes or maybe little fish or something in the ocean of Europa, uh, you know, but if you talk to the people and they were like, oh yeah, do you think aliens have visited us and kidnapped people? You'd be like, you're not you're not actually in our field. You're, you, yeah. you know, you're like, you're obviously absolutely a visitor. No, yeah. no one believes it. Absolutely nobody it, no one that I you know. work with yeah. believes that um, aliens have visited Earth. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. And, um, but, and they, you, but they do believe there might be life out there. Right. Does, do people like pretty sure there's life out there? A lot of people, they th the calculus they go through is that there's so many worlds out there. And they go on and on. So right. just a numbers game. There's got to be life out there somewhere. That's what people think. And but I think, yeah. and we have this whole equation called the Drake equation. And it's the way that you use to calculate whether or not, what the chances are of you finding a signal from extraterrestrial life. And some of them are like, okay, how many stars are there? How many stars, uh, how many of those stars have planets? How many of those planets are in a habitable zone? And then on and on, like, is that zone habitable for life and then how long does an average civilization take before it develops radio waves or something that that you could detect and then how long does a civilization at last well it makes radio waves and then declines and then disappears or blows itself up or something and if you add all of those fractions together you can figure out what are the chances but there's a lot of numbers we don't have very good ideas for like the how many stars have planets until recently we had no idea now we're now we're like oh look all these stars have all these planets that's awesome um f a thing for how long does a civilization last after it's made radio waves that's we're the only example so we'll find out how many solar systems are there in the milky way i mean billions billions of solar yeah. systems yeah how many galaxies are there uh, I don't know how many galaxies there are. Or that are known about, at least. There, I mean... And how do we know about them? Hundreds and hundreds of galaxies. I don't know if there's We know thousands. about hundreds of galaxies, or mm -hmm. hundreds of galaxies, because of telescopes? Yeah. So we can uh -huh. look out into the sky. Like, you you yourself can see a galaxy if you want. Um, there's the I galaxy Andromeda. Yeah. And mm. if you look at the constellation Cassiopeia... And you have like a pair of binoculars. You can see this hazy part of near the constellation. That's the galaxy Andromeda, which is one of the closest galaxies to us. A big elliptical galaxy. How many galaxies are? I mean, how many solar systems are in that one? I mean, probably the same amount. It? Yeah. Uh huh. And how many again? Do you say are in the Milky Way? I would say billions. I mean, billions I billions like of solar say, systems. There's a. It's not my field of study, but uh, they yeah. always say there's billions and billions of stars, and you know. Now your field of study is. You study the the geological aspects of planets, uh, I guess, right? Yeah, I study the formation and evolution of uh, the planets in the solar system. Now, when you were younger, you were talking about how you used to wonder a lot about space and stuff like that. 
I guess from a really early age? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I was in first grade, I guess we made a model of the solar system. And then we, uh, my particular one, we put a light inside the sun so you could turn it on and off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> made it out of styrofoam balls. I was like, yeah, I love the planets. And then I just kind you of... always wanted to do it. So I, basically I, you always was, were interested in, in this. I was always interested in almost everything. So I kind of went through the alphabet like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, I want to be a botanist. Oh, I want to be a, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. All the way to G, I got but to why, geologist. Why, yeah, why did you why did you focus on that, geology? Why is that? Uh, well, so it wasn't really until I was in college, I was interested in astronomy and geology. And so I tried both. And astronomy, like this deep space astronomy, it looks so cool. But when you actually do it, it's a lot of like, here's a line and then the line goes down a little bit and then we figure something out from that line <laughs> and you were interested in otherworldly stuff or you're interested in worlds right yes i guess and yeah and so when i got to geology it was a lot more concrete and when we saw pictures of mars or something like that you could actually imagine that's entire world and you get to see these beautiful pictures every day i can go to work and i can look at some part of mars that nobody has ever laid eyes on before and that's really cool I like in that. a way, it's a little more immersive than, say, astronomy in that you're getting to s- study actual textures and elements that exist on other planets and right. things, yeah. as opposed to mathematical equations of yeah. where you might be able to, to go in space or something mm-hmm. like that. And astronomers, they take, you know, you see those beautiful pictures of nebulae and stuff. Um, a lot of that's a false color image. It's still a true image, but they take, you know, some in the infrared or you know, uh, bands of light that we can't see, and then they combine it together to tell you something about a nebula or something. Um, but I was much more interested in, okay, if I took a point-and-shoot camera to Mars, I want to see what I would see. Right. What do you like about studying other worlds? Uh, well... I mean, do you like... You obviously like to travel on the Earth to different places with unique environments, right? Yeah. What do you like about that? I I guess I like the perspective that it gives you with both traveling on the earth and traveling in space because (laughs) you kind of have, I like this on the earth, say you have the worst possible day imaginable and like you don't have any money and it's raining and whatever, you just lost your true love. You're still in a environment where you're breathing oxygen and you have water around you, which is actually the most precious resource in the solar system. And so you don't really appreciate that. Like, oh, I'm rolling my window down. I'm breathing air. There's like plants and flowers, especially here in California, flowers floating on the breeze. And then you think basically the rest of the solar system is this barren place and desert and you can't live that you couldn't take a single breath on mars without dying. And so I like that perspective. It not only gets it's like the whole it's not only seeing new landscapes, but having new eyes, you know, that kind uh, of... It, but it not only seeing new landscapes, but also just developing um, or gaining a greater appreciation for the ones that you're familiar with already. Yeah. They call it... The, they have a name called the overview effect, and they said the astronauts that went into the space and they went to the moon, they could see the whole sphere of the Earth, and they just had this sudden, incredible feeling that boundaries didn't matter and politics don't matter and all the sort of petty things that you deal with on the earth are completely irrelevant and like and if everyone could see the earth from that perspective then they would understand and so i that's what i like about studying planetary science that you get that perspective and geology both in time that our lives are so so short in the span of billions of years and that 
the place that we inhabit is so small and precious in the span of the solar system and the universe. And you, someone in your field can go into space. They're eligible to go into space. Yeah, so... Um, and you've applied. I did. I applied. They had an astronaut call a number of years ago, and it came out right after The Martian came out. And so usually we get about... Did, well, hold on. Did they do that? Was that timed out on purpose they that did. way? Uh, they did. They yeah, did. Yeah, so usually <laughs> NASA doesn't work with Hollywood on movies. Um, right. And we're really careful about if they can even use the NASA logo. Um, but in the case of the Martian, I guess they approached NASA and said, hey, you want to work together on this and we want to make sure it's accurate. And NASA gave them all this stuff. And so they kind of timed, we had a, a timed some of that with the Martian coming out. So the Martian came out and then they said, well, guess what? <coughs> you know, you can do what Matt Damon did or whatever. Yeah, I didn't which I see think is funny because he like gets... Well, I won't give it away, but... Oh, I, yeah, I didn't you, see it. But. You don't think it would make people want to be astronauts. Mm. Oh, okay, so he <laughs> dies or something, maybe. Um, but, <laughs> You'll have to see it. It's great. But, um, or just it's hard or whatever. It makes it look hard to be in space. But anyway, they were kind of using that to entice people to apply? I guess so. You know, we, usually we get way more people applying than we pick. How know, many they, people apply? Well, first of all, how often do these open calls they, It's kind of random. They do it every... They kind of do it whenever they need new astronauts, and so sometimes it'll be a long time between calls. But yeah, every so many years, usually you'll get like three opportunities while you're the right age, maybe. To, to oh, apply. what is the age range? Um, I don't know if there's an official age range, but most people consider from like mid twenties up into mid forties would be a okay a good range. Okay, so there's a twenty year. Roughly 20 years. Yeah, like, for example, there was one call when I was in graduate school, so that was probably in 2008-ish, and then there was one that just happened. So, they're not, uh, Okay, they're not so they're the usually every 10 years or so, maybe. Yeah, and did you try to go back then? Uh, this time? No, la the last the time, first the time. graduate school time. The first time I did you not apply. In, you, yeah. were, you were like too inexperienced at that point or yeah. something, right? I okay. knew they wouldn't pick me. And right. then this time I applied, and... Um, yeah, didn't even get a call back. Cause some of my friends got callbacks. Some people you work with. Yeah, and then one of the girls I work with was actually selected. So out of, usually we get about 6,000 people apply. And after the Martian, they got 18,000 people. <laughs> so, but so the movie worked. Oh, yeah. I wow. mean, that's what they attribute it to. Like. Yeah. So, um, but then out of those, that number, I mean, they might only pick 12 or something. So they picked 12 out of 6,000 people. And in this most recent case, 18,000 people. Yeah. So my friend that got selected. Oh, wow. Um, Did she, was she so excited? Yeah. Yeah. And what's going on with her right now? Um, so she went down there and she's now called an astronaut candidate. And then she goes through all of this huge battery of tests and training. How many people go into that? This, uh, the, our candidates. Uh, that's the number. The 12. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, but are all of them going to go? No. No. How many go usually? I'm not sure. What the so you do all the training is. and you still might not go. Yeah, right. <clears throat> What's up with this training? Uh, you what know, makes you decide to not, why might you not go? Well, sometimes it's a physical thing. So they put you in those machines that spin you around really fast and then you can't handle it and you throw up or black out or something and then they you can't be chosen. Mm -hmm. Or um, How many people usually go usually? To spin. Base. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what the percentage is out of the astronaut class and actually goes. So Are you cool with spinning around and all that? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty okay. Do you with test it. yourself at When I was a kid, I did. You you know, so you would test yourself at amusement parks yeah. and say, 
this is training for me to be an astronaut one day. Right, yeah. Gravitron, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you did that. There was like a, a ride at the boardwalk and it was a UFO ride. And it was one of those that just spun you around, you stuck to the wall. Yeah. And in this case, it was like a tilted UFO. So you'd stick to the wall and then slide up to the top of the UFO. Oh my. And I would like drag my uncle on it and be like, yeah, we're going on it. And I, I was so proud of how good I was at spinning around and not getting sick. Because, you know, I watched the movies like, that's what I have to be able to do. Right. And then um, nowadays... I think I'm more susceptible. I'll get like a headache or something. And I'm like, yeah. no. But you still would. <laughs> and then the other yeah. part is um, they usually test this before you become an astronaut. But you usually have to have pretty good eyesight. And recently they've made it so that you could have corrected vision, like LASIK or something oh. like that. But back in the day when I was growing up, it's like, oh, if you got glasses, you were finished. Uh-huh. And so I was always super terrified of getting glasses. Oh, wow. So you have good vision i do you know you don't have yeah. glasses you don't, don't wear glasses. glasses when i was in graduate school my vision got markedly worse and i was very worried about that i'd look up at the moon and the moon was blurry and i don't know and you'd and worry I, about that you wouldn't be able to go to space yeah and then wow. i when i got out um of grad school i spent a little less time reading books and looking at a computer and uh, now my vision's fine so wow <laughs> um, so you're not, so were you no one scared of claustrophobia or anything yeah well that we often joke that you don't want a pilot necessarily in space you'd want like a submarine sailor because that's right. what you are you're kind of in this giant submarine and were you a little bit jealous of your friend i mean of course yeah but you you're all uh, was everybody everybody was anyone yeah. did anyone in that you work with get even it. kind of upset and and th think why did she get to do it and i didn't get to do it <laughs> she uh, i don't think so she was a pretty qualified candidate so we were so all nobody, like, well you know okay okay so yeah. everyone was kind of saying this yeah. makes sense nobody she's not only a planetary scientist but like an olympic uh, level rugby player and really all, yeah all these she's things. an olympian interesting yeah so she was had all of these qualifications wow do you think that helped her get through it must have perhaps because you have to be because in she's great physically shape. you got to yeah. be in great shape and you got to be smart and you usually have to have a pilot's license and um she has a pilot's license? I don't know if she did. Uh -huh. Can you have a history of like panic attacks? Or no? Probably not, no. And then the other part is they they take you through all these exercises to see what your psychology is like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people talk about being, oh, are you lonely in space or something? But you're never alone in space. You're always with these same three people or something. So what you really have to be is so chill that you get along with these same three people in really close quarters um, for long periods of time. Um. Is there ever romances that go on? I mean, in I've, space or you at believe in her space. job? Okay. <laughs> well, there's um, there's a famous case, of course, where they had well, some astronaut love triangle, and really, um, yeah, there was these two astronauts, I think, that were married, and then this other astronaut that was also married but in love with the other guy, and so she drove across the whole country to confront him or his wife or something, and it was a huge scandal. But hopefully now everyone's forgot about it because... <laughs> do people... Yeah. No, but what about... Just out of curiosity, do astronauts, do they make love in space? No. They but can't do that, They right? can't do Is that. Is there a way to get... A, can you... Can can you? You probably could. Um, I, somebody's written a book about it. Um, they they have? Yeah, there's a book out there. And there's a book called Packing for Mars, and I think they have a whole chapter on like the mechanics of all of that. But um, yeah, it's like you're never alone. There's always a sa these people, and then they're highly trained professionals. So it's like, oh yeah, How's if it? you got caught doing something like that, then it, you're never going to come is back to space. That hasn't stopped people in the past. <laughs> this is a little bit of a weird question, but is it possible to even 
get a, an erection in space or is there oh, some kind yeah. of yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah easy no problem <laughs> kidding it's probably extra escape <laughs> screen, you know? or actually is it easier to get an erection in space i probably. think it probably would oh be. really because you yeah no gravity right yeah but you know your is body space is arousing in any kind of way <laughs> i think you're like on you know you're so far from home and you're with these people you're in this incredible like special event no but i mean even just the atmosphere well the the gravity thing does that is that somehow make people aroused i, I think don't know so. i guess they would they'd probably another test they would do for <laughs> now <laughs> weed people out <laughs> yeah, yeah um have you been in anti-gravity pl- chambers no a lot of my friends have flown there's a thing called the vomit comet which is a plane that flies in parabolic loops and it's basically you get a certain amount of uh, free falling, no gravity time on the plane as it's making its free fall down oh. its loop, and so that's the closest you can get. There's some towers where you can drop things in the tower and get like a no gravity situation, but that's just with objects and not with people. There's no oh, there are rooms that exist. In uh, the, in, yeah, in, in that, that did y- they put objects in? Uh huh. Yeah. But and then why, they why just can't, drop them? Why can't they do human? Of humans in there uh just because how would you catch them that's why they have the airplane for humans that you kind of like you free fall what if they the they put a bouncy thing on the bottom of the thing of the I room mean, you could it's just easier not to i guess because mm-hmm. uh, what what free fall what no gravity is when you're in orbit around the earth is you're just constantly falling and you fall and you miss the earth each time as you go into orbit and so you're just falling 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 so that's kind of how it would feel that you're just constantly falling. So if you have that uh, aversion to that sensation, it wouldn't be nice to be in space. But after a while, people kind of get used to it because your whole environment is falling with you. Mm. So that's what it is when they're in space and there's no gravity. They're just falling. Yeah. The spa- the spacecraft is falling. Right. Yeah. Huh. So it because feels not, like that. But it's it's falling. But you're used gravity. to it, so that it. Huh. Yeah, because you're not the the human body is an accelerometer. And so it is very sensitive to changes in velocity. But if you're going the same velocity all the time, then you don't feel it as much. Mm. And so when you're falling in space, you're kind of still going the same velocity. And then you probably wouldn't notice it quite as much. But what if you're standing still? Or not standing still, but the spacecraft is not moving. Or it is always moving. It's always moving. It's always moving. It's always moving the same as you are. So you go around (laughs) the Earth every 40 minutes or so. Hmm. You get all these many, many sunsets and sunrises per day. Hmm. It's, uh, Does that mess with people's clocks? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think so they have, uh, you know, they sleep in these sleeping bags that are attached to the walls. Yeah. And so they probably have little um, eye shades to go on. There. Is it hard to go to the the bathroom? Yeah, they have a space toilet. <laughs> and it's How does it work? It's basically like a cone with a suction in it, <laughs> and it just sucks everything out. Both and Both styles? Uh, yeah, and uh, in Apollo days, they didn't have a space toilet, and so they would just, like, you know, poop into a plastic bag. Really? <laughs> and hmm. it caused all these problems because people would, like, the poop would escape. And really? And floating around. Oh, Whoa, well, there was yeah. poo floating around in yeah, this Yeah, if you listen to the, um, oh, no. to the audio transcriptions, there's, you know, this being like, oh, there's a, ah, what's going on? And people would be like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, this guy, you know. It's floating around in the cabin. Wow. <laughs> so that people think the romantic life of an astronaut, it's like a lot of that. There's a lot of gross parts to it, too. Is it hard to eat? Yeah, what they have. And they I mean, have, by the way, I, do, you, do you know a lot about being an astronaut because you want to do it, basically? 
Yeah, I mean, like the same. When I was in first grade, I took a did that thing of the planets. In fourth grade, I did a presentation on what it's like to be an astronaut, and mm-hmm. we built a small like space station thing out of cardboard in my living room, and we had like the space toilet and like all the different parts of the space mm. thing. So I have this m- video in my house entitled space and it's like me as a fourth grader being like this is how you go to the bathroom in a space toilet (laughs) Uh oh that's amazing wow so uh, yeah i don't like it's my everyday job i don't have to know anything about astronauts but but this is something you want to do yeah do you think that you will do it i don't think so honestly and uh, the older i get the more i'm kind of like i think i could do more for the space program not as an astronaut than I could as an astronaut because as an astronaut you're, you're not like, like bummed at all that you maybe I mean it's it's so select few that go but I right mean. that's why I don't think people can ever be like mad that they weren't chosen mm-hmm. because right. it's so few people and so you know even if it's your goal in life to be an astronaut everyone always says have a different goal okay so <laughs> not not your friend who you work with but uh-huh. has anyone ever been upset that s- uh, certain people have gone have been picked to go into space and they think, why is that person going? They, you know, they don't deserve it. Yeah. I don't think or something so. Like that. They're yeah. not qualified. Most, I mean, the astronauts are all so qualified that it's hard to argue with them. They're, and everyone has to be, you know, you'll find someone, oh, I'm a pilot and a doctor and uh, an engineer. And you're like, oh, what? You know, <laughs> how did mm-hmm. you have time to be all those things? Are, is everybody in this field yeah. just super intelligent? <laughs> well, I don't know. It, yeah, there's you a range, any, obviously, but well, <laughs> everyone. You, I how, would say, how long have you been working at JPL? I've been there for four years. Oh, okay. When you first started working there, was were you intimidated at all by anybody? Well, was it a pretty welcoming I, environment? I did find it was very welcoming, and almost everyone that you talk to, if you say like, "Hey, can you sit with me for an hour and explain something?" They'll be like, "Oh, yeah, no problem." But I was impressed by how smart everyone was and how much they knew. Like, I think the thing that joins all the people in my field is they're just insatiably curious, mm-hmm. and so and they like to memorize facts. And so I met this one guy who was my boss. His name is Rob Locke. You should interview him. But <laughs> he just knows everything about everything. And and he would just, you'd be like, oh, what about the spacecraft around Venus? And he would just tell you a half an hour story about the it, spacecraft So everyone's passionate uh, yeah. about this. There's no one there just doing it as a job. <laughs> there's a couple. There are? Really? Yeah. But there's, um, there's definitely this feeling that when I was in other places, I would be this person obsessed with space and you're, you don't have, you're like, hey guys, want to do this crazy idea that's going to take monumental amount of work. And then everyone's like, no, are you crazy? And then I got to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and now I say like, hey, I have this insane idea and it's going to take us like 10 years and it's going to be an outrageous amount of work. And everyone's like, I'll see you Saturday. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Is it hard to get a job there? Yes, it is. It depends. Like, I think it's easier to get a job there than most people think. Mm -hmm. Um, But you do, like, for my job, you have to have a PhD to get my job. But then there's plenty of other jobs people take um, with bachelor's degrees. You had to work your way up to getting a job there, right? By working at other places? Well, I had, I went to school and then I um, had a postdoctoral degree and then I got hired at JPL. So it was my first real job, but I didn't get it until I was, you know, 30. Mm-hmm. And um, JPL is owned by NASA? Yeah. So the way it is, is there's certain federally funded research centers, us, and then there's like um, Oak Ridge Labs, if you heard of them in Tennessee, and Los Alamos that made the atom bomb in um, 
New Mexico. And so um, they're all for different reasons that the federal government started them. And then our, our lab is managed by Caltech University, but on behalf of NASA. So we're this weird, like, limbo form of NASA centers. I am not a government employee. I'm a Caltech employee. But almost all of our work comes from NASA. And we all have the same badge as the other NASA centers. And my badge gets me into Johnson Space Center and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, But we have a little bit different rules, like the civil servants, they can't be fired. And they can fire us whenever they want. And mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> makes us more flexible. You know how you mentioned that if you have a, an ambitious idea their game to do it there at JPL. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the most ambitious idea you've had and what are you working on? Well, so right now I'm working on this mission in the moon. Is this the most ambitious thing you've kind of... Yes. And so I said to my friends, I said, you know, I'd like to... My friend had a rover that's a repelling rover that it repels down into off of cliffs. And um, what, what, is that, what do you mean? What does that mean? It's basically a two-wheeled rover and it, and it attaches a a rope to an anchor and then it just repels down the side of the cliff okay and so like a, m- a rock climber okay oh right where they like jump again yeah. away yeah. from it and then back exactly in. okay and so um who builds these things this is a guy at jpl he had the, been working on oh it. he built this robot he built this robot yeah. and he he had said you know i wanted to build a robot that go to really extreme places like cliff sides and, and then when i saw that he had this robot i said well they just discovered these huge deep caverns in the moon why don't we send this robot there? And so um, they said, yeah, let's do it. And so for the past couple of years, he and I have been working on writing proposals like, hey, anyone interested in this idea of sending this rover to this moon cave? And then finally, um, JPL got excited about it. And now we're working on a proposal to propose it to a big NASA competition. And we're against all of the, you know, if someone wants to send something to Neptune or Saturn or you know, all those mainstream planets, <laughs> <laughs> then um, we have to, we, we're again in a competition with them. And so the proposal takes a year to write and it has so many different pieces. And um, yeah, everyone at JPL's gung-ho, let's do it. And so uh, a couple, two days ago was a full moon. And so every full moon I write to the whole team and I say, we have to have a monthly moon review and everyone go outside and look at the moon because you kind of get so caught up in what you're doing that you forget that, oh, there it is right there. Mm-hmm. You can see exactly where we're going. It's pretty exciting. So there's some crevices that haven't been explored. Yeah. What do you think is in there? Well, we have no idea. Uh, we've taken some pictures from the side. We have a spacecraft in orbit around the moon right now. And it takes pictures from the side and it can, s- okay, in the side of this pit, we see all these layers, which is we find really exciting because it kind of layers down through the history of the moon. But then if you look into the cave, we can tell it goes back about 60 feet into nothing. You know, it's like hundreds of feet tall, mm. 300 feet tall about and then it goes back into this deep, dark nothing. We have no idea what's back there. So, Do you think there's possibility there's ice there? Well, actually, that's a, an interesting thing because if the cave were closer to the pole of the moon, it would have ice in there probably. And we find ice in these permanently shadowed craters near the poles of the moon. Hmm. Um, this particular cave that we're going to is close to the equator and the temperature inside the cave, even though it's it's about minus 35, but in the vacuum environment of the moon, you wouldn't have any ice. So there couldn't be any water on the moon. There is ice, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's just at the poles. Uh-huh. And there isn't any liquid water. And there's never been any detection of 
life at all on the moon. No. So back in the turn of the century, like then 1903 or something, an astronomer wrote this paper about how he saw changes in the moon's um, reflectivity depending on the t- the season. And so he thought it was some kind of vegetation cycle. Um, but then the better telescopes we got and then we actually sending spacecraft to the moon, we can tell there's just no water anywhere except for that at the poles. It's bone dry and there's no evidence of rivers, even in the past, and then no evidence of life. What do you do every day? Well, so right yeah. now, since I'm involved in this moon mission, I'm doing all these um, moon mission activities, which is we have the rover and we're building a wall for it that looks like a lava wall so it can like practice going up so and down the wall. right now you're testing this robot to be going down the wall. Basically. Right. And then the other stuff I do is I read tons of papers about the moon and I make maps of the moon of where we're going. And then I, I try and figure out, okay, if I want to take this kind of picture of the wall of the moon, then what kind of camera do I need and what kind of temperatures does the camera have to survive and where can I get a camera like that? (laughs) Mm. And uh, so it's really fun because every day it's this new challenge. Like just the other day we were thinking, oh, okay, we got, there's probably going to be some dust on the wall and we're going to have to get this dust off. And what's the dust going to be like and how do we get it off? And so just brainstorming with a bunch of smart people saying like, oh, you know, I was at Home Depot the other day and they had this this device and that's kind of what we need. And then we go back into the history and say, what has everyone else used in the past? And, mm. um, How big is the robot? The robot is about the size of a, I would say, like a love seat. <laughs> mm. So it's pretty big. And it's because it's only got two wheels. People think it's kind of small, but it's pretty big. So how long does it take take to do this, all this stuff for the, this current mission? Well, for this mission, you know, the proposal is due in May. Yeah. And then we wouldn't, if we got selected through all of the rounds, it wouldn't launch until 2025. Oh, what are you doing that whole time? So right now we built a rover. It's a prototype. Yeah. But then we have to build it again, all with um, space rated parts. And then we have to test it in thermal vacuum chamber and vibration chamber. We have all these chambers at JPL. <laughs> One of them is a acoustic wave chamber. And it's just a chamber totally filled with m- little microphones and then like a big foghorn. <laughs> and oh. they just go, Wah! and then, you know, see if anything breaks. Do you ever have downtime at all? Sometimes, uh, like if I'm not th- in the proposal process, I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like total insanity Let's all the time. Say things move forward. And, you know, from now until 2025 or whatever, will you have times when you're just kind of waiting or something? We do have, like, when we turn in the proposal next May, we'll have six months or so that they take to What do you do in that proposal. time? Well, so I have all these other jobs at the same time. I work on a Mars orbiter um, called Mars Odyssey. And so for that thing, we're always planning. It's in operation, so we're planning, okay, what, what pictures is it going to take and, and writing scientific papers about the Is this the, the thing results. that can take pictures of that you can see on uh, Google Mars? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's the thing. Well, there's two. And there's, a lot of people don't know this about right. this, right? There's a couple different orbiters around Mars. There's one that I work on, which is the Odyssey orbiter. Then there's one called the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. And that has a telescope that can take pictures on the surface of Mars with a pixel about the size of a dinner plate. So you can see like our little Mars rover opportunity is the size of a golf cart. You can see it from space 
from this telescope. And so anyone who wants to can go on the internet to High Wish is what the website's called, and then they can say, I want a picture of this part of Mars, and then the spacecraft will take it, and they'll send it, they'll email it to you. And has anyone, any random person on the internet asked for a picture of a certain part of Mars, and that led to finding something interesting? Certainly. I mean, there's one guy who's really into taking pictures of Mars, and so he requests pictures all He's the just time. some guy, yeah, random just guy. some guy. He, he uh, updates Wikipedia a lot. I don't know what his actual job is, but yeah, he requests photos of Mars, and he, and he writes Wikipedia articles about Mars and stuff. He's just a really awesome guy who likes Mars, I he, guess. You just type in random coordinates or what? I mean, I mean, you, what you can do is you look at a map, and then they show you all the places that have already have photos taken of them, and then you can draw a square and be like, oh, I want this spot. And so places that look interesting from far away, they have lots of pictures taken of them. And then there's vast swaths of Mars that people just haven't gotten to yet. So did that guy help find anything of note? I'm sure he did. I don't know of a specific uh, thing that he found, but since he just is behind so many of the targeting things, like, for example, when I go and uh, I write research papers, that's another thing I do. I write research articles about things on Mars. I'm just like, oh, is there an image here? Yes, there is. I don't look to see who's requested the image. I'm just like, oh, How long thanks. does it take to process a request? It can take up to six months or so. And the reason oh. is because um, it just depends on where they are in their orbit. So they oh, have right. to be going over your spot in order to take a picture of it. How many requests come in usually? I don't know. My office mate is actually in charge of one of the, if someone requests anything that has to do with impacts, then she's the one the request goes to. Um, but I don't know how many she gets like per week. And I can make a request and yeah. Donnie can make a request. Oh yeah. So and we could just pick any spot on the, on Mars and get a photo of it. Yeah. Hmm. A really high resolution photo. If one yeah. of us say requested a spot that hasn't been taken a photo of yet, and it turns out there's something really special there. Could we get named after that spot? You have to be dead in order to have a spot named after. Oh, you. is that true? Yeah. Really? You have to be. You have to have been dead for a certain number. Okay. Of years. Well, say I, say I request something and then I die. Yeah. Would they name it after me? Uh, they might not because they might not even remember who requested sure. it. Sure. Yeah, but uh, you know, maybe the, if there was a campaign saying this this guy he knew to take this photo, and so you should name this place after him. Is there a flag? Okay, there's things on Mars, right? Yeah, just spacecraft. There's things rolling around? Uh, yeah, there's some live, I mean, still active spacecraft, and then there's some that are They're just dead. rolling around. They're active right now. Yeah. How long have they been there, the active ones? Uh, so How many are there? Curiosity actually? rover. Right now we have two active spacecraft on Mars and another one arriving in November. How many wheels do they have? Um, Curiosity has six wheels. It's been there since 2011. And then, um, is there something kind of sad about thinking about these little guys just, you know, rolling around this, this vast empty planet? Yeah. Well, they have these comics that they make where the rover is like, Hey, I found some rocks and I made all these discoveries. And it's like, do I get to go home now? You know? And we're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Does anybody... I mean, does anyone start to feel sentimental about these robots? They do, absolutely. Really? Yeah, right. And they kind of want them to come home? They do. Like right now, wow, the Opportunity Ooh. rover has been there since 2004. Is that the oldest one? Yeah, the oldest still living one. And um, Because some of them die. Yeah. And they die on the planet? They just stop working? And they just, yeah. they're just there, just hanging out. They're just there. Just, do people know. cry about that? Well, I think people are going to cry about Opportunity because we had this big... Opportunity dust- is the one from 2004. 
Yeah, so yeah. we had this big dust storm recently, and um, it it we lost contact with Opportunity. Oh my! And goodness. so uh, we don't know if we're ever gonna make contact with Opportunity again. So we're in this period of time where they gave us a certain amount of time for us to see if Opportunity <laughs> will respond to our calls, and if it isn't, then we just have to call it. And so it feels like Opportunity is a coma patient or something, and there's all these people being like, no, don't well, unplug they, it. Well, they start to <laughs> right. get attached to this, and they, yeah, they, they get invested. Yeah, been working on it yeah. since, you know. And oh, then yeah. 2004, some of the people were on it before it launched, so like <laughs> decades they've spent. Um, and the same th was true of that um, orbiter around Saturn that had been there for 20 years. There are people who had been working on that mission most of their careers, and then we decided to run, plunge it into Saturn at some point, and and then um, that was it. And all these people came off the mission like, "What do I do now?" It got destroyed in yeah. Saturn. Yeah, it feels it felt like a funeral. I went to its uh, f finale, they called it. So at Caltech at four o'clock in the morning, hundreds of people showed up. And then they had this board where they were showing the trajectory of Cassini, and it was like a line and a signal coming from Cassini, and then it just went flat, and then you knew it was dead. And you're like, oh, it was it. They actually made it go into the planet? Yeah, uh -huh. um, so they knew it was gonna <laughs> run out of fuel, and they didn't want it to crash into one of the moons because they were afraid if there was life there, for example, that the potential life still clinging to Cassini would contaminate it. Yeah. And so they're like, well, let's crash it into some place we know that's it's going to be destroyed and that it doesn't have life. And so they decided to crash it into Saturn. So are you personally, um, do you f have uh, feelings for these robots? I haven't worked enough on a mission, I think, to have a real good, f yeah. Like Because uh, just thinking about it myself, right. I'm thinking it's, I think it's, it sounds like a sad thing of these, this little rover or whatever going along, just picking yeah. up information and, and, doing its job and do you find it difficult to not start to think of it as a as, a, as something that like wally that's real yeah, yeah something it's like certainly that it's hard because especially if you look at the rovers they have they usually have two eyes because mm -hmm. just see in stereo vision and so they look like little critters yeah around there and if the more you work with it every single day then you really start to think of it as a real creature yeah. And so some people you work with, they really feel strongly towards these, oh, yeah. these things. Oh, yeah. They, and they, uh, it didn't help that they started making these social media accounts for the rovers where they talk in first person like, oh, right. look what I found mm. today. Or like, right. oh, I'm so sleepy. And all. Though the, the saddest one of all time that you should look this up, um, there is a mission to the moon from a Chinese, uh, Chinese space agency. And it um, had a lander called Chang'e. Three was a princess of the moon, and then the rover was called Yutu, which is her pet rabbit in Chinese mythology. And so the rabbit goes out, the little rover, and then um, the lander went to sleep for the night. And then the rover couldn't close itself up or properly for the nighttime, and so they were afraid it was going to die. And so it wrote this. The Chinese space agency wrote this uh, article in the newspaper that was like, you know, I'm an adventurer, and, and it's like. The princess is already asleep, and by the time she wakes up, like she won't know that I'm gonna be gone. And you know, and he was like, and some people might feel sad that this is the way my adventure ends. And and he's like, but like many explorers, like I just ran into a little problem. And you're just like, you know, talking about crying. And so like, I was like, mm -hmm. well, that's the closest I ever came to crying, thinking about this poor rabbit freezing to death on the moon. You know? Yeah. yeah. Did you? Um, 
did other countries I, you hear this this phrase space race right but is it a competition or do other countries work with this country are, are we, we working we work together or what i mean yeah, are, are we working against each other what's going on here we work together all the time what's the the, what's this race all about um back in the day when it was the ussr and the u.s that was a definite space race because it was all about developing technology and a lot of the same technologies used for rockets and space exploration are the same that used for intercontinental ballistic missiles and other th- warlike apparatus so to show your prowess in space exploration is a proxy for showing how good you are at war yeah. at the time. And then kind of showing at the time, you know, you have communism versus capitalism, which one can create more wonderful, beautiful technological mm-hmm. things. And so there was a race there. So after but the race is over now, now it's, yeah, we started collaborating together. It's how many countries are involved in, sp- in space stuff? Only not too many. I imagine there's right? not, there's a lot of ones that have space agencies now. So the main ones are us. There's the, um, Europe, um, India, Japan. Europe is just one thing. Yeah, they. Bu- I mean, they. It's just they each have their own space agencies, but they bind together to make a one big European space agency. Okay. And then now China is a really interesting thing because they don't work together a lot with the other space agencies. They kind of do their own thing, and they're on a really fast. Um, they're going really fast, and they never tell anyone really what they're doing until they've already done it, hmm. and so. That's kind of exciting, honestly, because they'll be like, oh, we're sending something to the moon right now. And then uh, and also six months from now and also next year. And it's a pace that's much faster than a lot of. um, So, okay, who's hmm. got rovers on Mars right now? It's just the U.S. Oh, just the U.S.? The U.S. is the only country that's ever successfully landed anything on Mars. Oh, really? Yeah. And and I'm sorry, how many countries do you think out of the hundred and... 96 countries and i mean i guess europe is a bunch of countries but how many i guess how many agencies are there that exist in, in the world in well, our world so there's the ones i mentioned and then there's it was some like four that was yeah. four you mentioned let's see one is two. there russia yeah russia u.s, US china um, europe china japan and india Okay. And then the United Arab Emirates has started its own space agency and it has a mission that's going to send to Mars an orbiter 2020. And then they have some a- some countries that provide astronauts like Brazil, for example, as a program. So, okay, Australia sa- just started its own space program, but Are there other rovers on mo- the moon right now? Active? Um, no. No. There aren't any, no. And not from other countries? No. So, there's only there's two rovers on Mars that are active right now. Right, and that's it for the solar system. At least they have each other, though, right? Yeah, they're on opposite sides of the planet. Oh, they are? They're never going to (laughs) cross each other? No. Um, What if they run into each other? Could they crash? uh, Well, it would be... I mean, the the surface area of Mars is about the same as if you took all the continents of the Earth and put them together. And so you imagine, like... Oh, Mars is pretty small. Well, it's it's smaller than the Earth, but it's still pretty big. So it's about the surface area is about the third the size of the Earth. So if you imagine like, oh, I'm in Asia, you're in Africa. What if we run into each other? It's like they probably won't. Right. <laughs> oh, those two, these two lost lovers. They're not. Yeah. They never find each other. And then, um, so those are the only rovers in the solar <laughs> system, except for that. In the last few days, the Japanese landed on the surface of an asteroid, and they set down two rovers on the surface of the asteroid. And uh, the asteroid has such low gravity that the uh, that the rovers like hop around, and so they have all these wicked, crazy, awesome pictures of um, the rovers hopping around on the surface of this asteroid. Wait, are you from Boston? 
No, but okay, I, I, I spent five years in Providence, Rhode Island. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was just curious, yeah. yeah. And so oh, you can land on an asteroid. Yeah. Are asteroids big? No, they're pretty small. Like mm-hmm. the, this particular asteroid is about, they showed a picture of it compared to LA and it's only like a little larger than downtown. Uh-huh. Hmm. Where is this thing? The asteroid? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, it, it, there's an asteroid belt, right? There is. And I Where don't is think it? this is all the way okay. in the asteroid belt. Where's the belt exactly? The belt is between Mars and Jupiter. Between Mars and Jupiter. So basically a belt is just a bunch of them, basically. Yeah. And yeah. so what they think happened was that there was a planet between Mars and Jupiter. Oh, but and Jupiter has up. such a large gravitational force that it can like kind of tear other planets apart. Oh, wow. Hmm. Now, so Jupiter <coughs> is made out of gas. Yeah. The whole right. thing from mm-hmm. to the center? Yeah, well, they think at the center it might uh, transition into liquid helium or things, weird things like that. <laughs> so when we see the colors of these planets from photographs, mm-hmm. those are the actual colors? It depends. Sometimes they're the actual colors and sometimes they're stretched and sometimes they're false color images like I was saying about nebula where they'll take a certain number of bands and they'll combine them in an interesting way to show you something. What kind of gases on Jupiter? Uh, there's all kinds of different gases. A lot of it's hydrogen, it's helium, kind of like the sun. The sun is mostly hydrogen and helium. Jupiter is like a small version of the sun that never got big enough to start. Oh, really? Uh, it's like fusion. the sun. Yeah. But it's not it's emitting not, energy though. Right. Or it, it's not it, exploding it, energy. Right. It's not, it doesn't, didn't start fusion. So what happens is you have a lot of mass and gases and you're, and the bigger you get, the more the gravity is such that the atoms are so close to each other. Usually they're kept apart from one another, but if the, if the force is too great, then the middle of the atoms are just squished together and then they become one atom. And then because all this energy comes out. And so on- Is that on, how bombs work? Yeah, so like a hydrogen bomb or an atomic bomb. Is that you just, you compress atoms so close to each other that it, it makes it explode? Yeah, and well, huh. so there's different ways to do it. Like for the, for the atom bomb, you're actually splitting atoms apart. So oh. you can get energy if you smash atoms together from light atom from hydrogen all the way down to iron. And then if you're heavier than iron out to like uranium, then you get energy from splitting atoms apart. So uranium is a, is a really heavy atom with like tons of protons and neutrons and electrons. And so that's why they like to split it apart because you get a lot of energy. Is uranium mm-hmm. found on Uranus a lot? Or something? Uh, no, Uranus that? is also a gas giant. So the answer is no. But the interesting thing about the elements in the planets is that we were discovering a lot of those elements around the same time as we were discovering the planets. And so uh, we have a Neptunium element and Uranium. Is Neptune gas plutonium, also? Plutonium. And oh, um, yeah, right. yeah mm-hmm. Neptune's gas too. So at the time, everyone was like, oh, we discovered this new planet. That's so cool. I'll call my element that. Or Saturn is gas as well. Yeah. They're all gas, almost. Right, we call them the gas giants. Jupiter, Saturn, Neptune, and Uranus are all gas. And so the only solid planets are Earth, Mars, Venus, and Venus, and Venus too, and Mercury? Yeah. Oh, so just the ones that are closer to the sun. Yeah, so that's what they think, you know, since it's hotter closer to the sun, things made out of rock are stable there. But as you get colder and colder, then you can have these icy moons you know like a lot of the moons of jupiter are icy and then these kind of gas and it's stable sitting there in space it won't fly what's the scariest planet venus venus why 
Venus is the hottest planet in the solar system, even though oh, it's, it's hotter. Than, it's even though it's second away from the sun. Right, and the reason is because it has this very thick atmosphere. Um, we on the Earth we have an atmosphere that's one bar of pressure, and on Venus it's something over ninety bars. It's raining it, acid. It rains acid. It's hot enough to melt lead on the surface. It's just. If you think about fire and brimstone of hell, that's what Venus is like. What is it made out of? It's mostly rock, and then it has an atmosphere that's made out of mostly carbon dioxide and then some sulfur, sulfuric acid. Has anything tried to fly into, into that? Yeah, so we had, um, in the back in the day, the USSR s- sent several probes. Like, so we're the only ones that have landed on Mars. They're the only ones that have landed on Venus. They landed on it? Yeah, so we had one yeah. spacecraft that was a balloon that kind of landed on Venus, but they had... I thought you said that nothing's ever successfully landed on anything except for the U.S., no? Uh, no, oh, okay. just, just Mars. Mar- okay, yeah. you are just talking about Mars, yeah. Yeah, because so a lot of people landed on the moon. Um, right, and so okay. Venus, the USSR landed there, um, and they basically sent... Landing on Venus is kind of like going into extremely hot ocean because the pressure on Venus is the same as this if you were a thousand meters below the sea and so you kind of have to get a submarine type thing that's really resistant to heat and then just send it and it kind of like slowly goes down into venus until it hits the bottom and then it stayed alive for a couple hours until it melted and was crushed it took pictures from down there yeah it took pictures and we got pictures yeah from the surface of venus yeah you can have a look at them and then it was Mm. funny because they had this color bar so that they could calibrate and know what that the color was right and then they realized the color bar was like melting and changing colors because it was so hot and uh so the planets that we've actually landed on are mars venus the moon and then um europe actually said not mercury though not mercury and then europe sent a probe when we went to saturn you know that moon I was talking about, Titan, the yeah. solar system's largest one. They sent a probe and led that landed on Titan. Oh, they got one on Titan. Yeah. What's that look like? That's really cool because Titan is one of the coolest places in the solar system. It has a rain and lakes and rivers. But really? They're, they're all made out of ethane and methane instead of water. Gas. Uh, so it is a gas, but at those temperatures, it's a solid. So you have like a solid rock that's made out of, you know, hydrocarbons. The, wait, the lakes and rivers are solid? Oh, no. The lakes and rivers are liquid. Oh, what are those made out of? The ethane and methane. And then you oh, have Oh, ethane like, and methane are liquids. Yes. Oh, that's oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just was thinking they were gases. Or yeah, they, can, they have a cycle just like water on the earth could be uh, liquid and solid and gas. And methane and ethane kind of have a similar hmm. cycle on Titan. So they've got rivers and lakes. That's cool. It's, it looks like a planet almost. Yeah, it looks like the Earth. And so that's what's it the looks cool like thing the Earth? about, um, you is know, from far away. There's mountains, there's deserts, there's sand dunes. Um, I mean, but they're all made out of this weird kinds of ices. Do you think, this is it possible for life to survive there? We don't really know I mean, because uh, we think it's too cold, you know. But um, there's definitely and there's like all lots sorts of, pictures of there? organic things. Um, so we have the pictures from the probe going down, and that's really cool. You can see a whole video. They took a whole video as it went down, and the probe was spinning, and they didn't expect it to spin. So they, um, some very patient person took each individual frame and then made a picture of the descent from looking in every direction. And so 
and then you hit the bottom and there's like a bunch of round little rocks as if you hit the bottom of a stream channel or something so they have all these new missions that they want to send to titan that'll be like a boat that lands in the titan's lakes or they have one that's a little helicopter that will fly around like a drone you know one of those uh, uav kind of um drones and like hop around and check things out because titan's atmosphere is just a little thicker than the earth's atmosphere and it's a lot of nitrogen and that's what most of our atmosphere is made of nitrogen too and so it's actually much easier to fly on titan than it would be on the earth and so some people think that if you put some wings on a human being that they could fly around on titan Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's based on the Mm. properties of the atmosphere so everyone likes that idea how big is titan compared to the earth um, it's smaller than the Earth, but it's larger than the Moon. Would you say it's well? How big is the Moon really compared to the Earth? Um, that's what I can't remember. It's some. I think it's a, like a fourth the size of the mm-hmm. Earth. Okay, so I know, oh, the, so, I know the so, gravity is one sixth the size of the Earth. So so Titan like might be mass. like a third the size of the of the Earth or something. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's. I don't think it's that big. It's closer to the Moon size. How much does a rover cost? A rover might cost about $2 billion. Where does this money come from? Um, NASA gets a portion of the federal budget. Um, NASA, can you guess what you think the percentage of the federal budget that NASA gets? A hundred? Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, <laughs> like, like... Uh, 90, 90%. Like five or something? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really small. Aaron, uh, less than Aaron says 0.1%. Yeah, we get. Um, Wait, you so NASA gets point one percent from the government. Yes, it's about we get on the dollar. I'd say, let's see, out of a hundred dollars, we'd get like forty nine cents or something. Where's this money coming from? Um, so your tax dollars. Oh, so we pay for the space program. Yes. So if you imagine the federal budget, there's a certain percentage that goes to defense and social security and. Um, Medicaid, Medicare, national parks, all right. of that stuff. Um, all of our national labs, weather services, et cetera. You know, NPR, there's tons of different things the federal budget goes for. And some small percentage of that goes to NASA. And we it, use it to explore the universe. What's the most expensive industry? Is that one of the most expensive industries in, in, the, in, as the, far uh, in the world? As far as what an individual thing costs? Yeah, I guess so. Well, it is probably one of the more expensive industries. Uh, another expensive industry is um, like the military, for example. If you make a single military plane, it can be in the billions of dollars. Um, well, our telescope, we're making this giant space telescope right now. I think it cost over $8 billion. Do you own a telescope? I used to have one, and then my father sold it. <laughs> hmm. In a garage sale? Yeah, and then he said, oh, all these pieces were missing because they're in my drawer. <laughs> oh, no. Well, Dad? you get a new one. Um, I could get a new one. You probably got one at work, right? Yeah, well, I feel like I can see so much better from my spacecraft orbiting. But sometimes when you're at home, do you ever just want to look out, just yeah, check I some stuff a, out, even though it's not as close probably? But. Yeah, lay a blanket down on the grass. Let, yeah, it's nice if back. you have a pair of binoculars or something like that. I have yeah. a lot of friends with telescopes, so if we go camping, usually at least one person has a telescope. Do you like going camping because you can see stars better? Yeah. Uh-huh. I love it. Yeah. And Rocks in the day, stars at night. And all your friends obviously ask you, you know, what's that? What's this? Where's Andromeda Galaxy? Where's Betelgeuse? Yeah. Um, well, that's the funny part because, you know, we don't necessarily know all that stuff, but we kind of are expected to know it. Right. Cause, and so I ended up just learning it anyway because I said, everyone's going to keep asking me. So. Yeah, might as well. Let's say China goes to m- the moon, you know, lands on the moon. And they don't, they're kind of secret about you, said. 
about their what they're doing. Can they just they can just do whatever they want? Yeah, I mean, what they do sometimes have to do is all the countries will tell each other when they're going to launch something, so that say we launch something and we don't want Russia to think it's a missile attack. Oh, okay. And so we'll say, hey guys, we're going to the moon. We're going to launch a big thing, but don't worry. Right. And then everyone else <laughs> watches and says, oh, where is it going? Okay, fine. Has there ever been an astronaut mission where people from different countries team up or different agencies team up? Yeah. So oh, really? um, back in the 90s, I guess, we had the space station Mir, which was a s- Russian space station. And then we had a um, a couple exercises where they would dock Russian and U.S. space uh, station things. And then right now the International Space Station, of course, is all the countries, Brazil and Japan and Europe and U.S. and Russia, all always go on the International Space is Station. Is someone in that? Yeah, the space all, there's usually there's, there's always somebody there's in the space somebody station. There, yeah. So someone is always in this this thing in that's space in yeah. space. And what's the longest someone's ever spent in space? About a year. Oh, really? Yeah, there's been a couple and astronauts. What are the side effects of being in space oh, after for being that long? Yeah, in, so in, many things. Um, like the one of the guys, Scott Kelly, was a guy who recently spent almost a year in space, and when he came back, he said he would have all of these weird feelings, like all the blood and his body would rush to his legs. And <laughs> and then he also became a couple, in, like an inch taller because his spine stretched out in no gravity. And then he came back to the earth and he is a twin brother. So he's like, oh, I'm taller than my twin brother. But then he kind of shrank back down to his normal Oh, size. he shrank back down yeah. again. And the, you can have weird changes to your eyesight because your eyeballs are floating in space, you know, instead mm. of being compressed by gravity. And then, of course, you have to work out all the time so that your heart stays strong enough so that when it comes back, it can pump blood against gravity. Hmm. Yeah. How long do they sleep when they're out there? They, I think they sleep a normal amount of time. Like they're, they're, supposed, they're not supposed to be getting 12 hours. Uh, no, I mean, hours. maybe like eight hours or seven hours. Okay, good. They get, yeah. And, the, oh. and when they got to the moon, they were actually supposed to land on the moon and then sleep because they had this long day where they're orbiting the moon. And then it's really stressful to land on the moon. They said, okay, have dinner and then sleep. The astronauts are, I don't think so. We are on the moon. You know, we're going to go outside right now. Yeah, and so they're all jacked up. NASA was like, oh, okay, fine. Oh, oh <laughs> I have a quick question. Well, if someone's in space for a year, does, do, is there something about they age differently or something? Well, so if you go, if you travel very, very, very fast, then you age slower than other people. And that's a relativistic thing. But on the, you wouldn't be able to tell as far as just going to the space station. Right. You'd have to go pretty f- close to the speed of light in order to actually be able to tell. Also, how many people have been on the moon now total? Um, Twelve. That's all countries? Yes. And only U.S. And only so, U.S.? Yeah. Oh, really? No and one else has been on the moon? No one else has been on the moon. I mean, as far as other countries? Humans, yeah. They've sent uh, spacecraft. There was two rovers from Russia. And but then currently, there's no rovers on the moon. No. Mm-hmm. So my rover, I want to go to the moon. <laughs> yeah. And that's there was a rover on the moon a couple of years ago, the Chinese one, the Jade Rabbit one that, that died. And yeah. then the Chinese are sending another rover this, um, I think it's really soon, this year. Mm-hmm. To the far side of the moon. No one's ever landed on the far side of the moon. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. Oh, that's kind of unknown right now. Yeah. Oh, we, we there's no pictures of it. There are there are pictures. Yeah, we have pictures of it, but nobody's ever landed there. Is the far side of the moon the dark side of the moon? No. Okay. Uh, as you see the moon go through its phases, you know, from full to you see the uh, whole thing. So so the moon, the is like say it's a full moon, on the side that we're looking at, then it's dark on the other side, and yeah. vice versa. Right. Right. Your thing's going to cost a couple billion dollars? 
It would, yeah, the budget would be five hundred million, so half a half a oh. billion, very cheap. Oh, that's cheaper compared to these other things, very right? Cheap. And this is your baby, right? This is your project. Yeah. Are you going to yeah, be exciting. really emotionally invested in this robot? And oh yeah, hoping, I already am. I mean, do you, do they assign genders to these things? They do. Most <laughs> of the um, robots are female, and I think that's just because it's c- taking after the they would call ships of discovery and like you know old ships sure oh female. yeah the maiden and voyage so they kind of started doing that with robots i think it's kind of weird but is yours gonna be a girl <laughs> no i think mine is definitely a male robot really oh, yeah. i don't know it's it's they called the uh, axel rover and it's just all the guys everyone who works on it is a guy almost and so it's always seemed to me like a it would be a male rover but it was funny because they were talking to me and they were like, yeah, Axel, he has to lose a little bit of weight. if it, And then they were like, oh, or she. <laughs> right, I was right. like, it's okay, man. It can be whatever you want. Uh-huh. I think it doesn't make sense for it to have a gender. It's a robot, so yeah. mm-hmm. it's genderless. Do you have a lot of dreams about space? I have a few dreams about space and they're the best dreams I've ever had. Are they recurring? No. I had one dream that I was exploring Mercury as an astronaut. Wow. And I got out, I woke up and I'm on Mercury and then I get out of the spacecraft and I'm going to this cliffside and I find all of these like amazing jewels of really weird kinds of minerals. And every time I picked up a, a rock, I would be like, this changes everything we know about Mercury. And I'd like put it in the sample bag and the next one like, this changes once again, everything we know about Mercury. And then um, the other astronauts came out like, hey, why don't you wake us up before going on this, you know, Thing, and I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I just wanted up Mercury all to myself. So it was a great dream, and I wish I just could go back to sleep and never wake up but and have that dream forever. But you have to live in the real world sometimes. Would what would say. be something that would make you feel like you really contributed to your field? Um, I mean, what, what are you trying to do? Yeah. Well, I feel like if I could send a mission somewhere or, uh, you know, the thing about me is, like, I... A lot of people are like, oh, I want to make some really important contribution. Mm -hmm. And that's not really what I'm after. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just a curious person, and I always go around being like, oh, I wonder why that's the way it is. Right. You don't want to contribute. You more just want to just enjoy enjoy, it. You soak it up. Yeah. Just enjoy the process. And I mean, if I discovered some kind of city on Mars or something, then obviously I would feel, I would be like, wow, this is amazing. Would you live on Mars? (laughs) I I would go on vacation on Mars. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would want to come back. Someday. Do you believe that Mars might be a place to that it might be a new place to live? I uh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. It's, but it it would be it would have to be everything would have to be enclosed in in a thing. Yeah. Right? right now, so people have all these ideas about how to terraform Mars so that it'd be more thus you could live outside. And, and is that lo- by melting the ice there? Yeah, what they would have to do is Basically increase the atmospheric pressure. And then if they increase the pressure, then you could have liquid water on the surface and it would get warmer. And so that's hard. You know, a huge planet like that, where do you get all this stuff from? And so for a long time, we were trying to figure out the Earth actually has as much carbon dioxide as Venus does. I said Earth has one bar of atmosphere and only a tiny percentage of that is CO2. Venus has 90 bars of CO2. Earth has all of that CO2, but it's all captured in rocks, mostly at the bottom of the ocean. And so, you know, we were looking on Mars, hoping, are we going to find these carbon-rich rocks, and then we could just let the carbon out of the rocks and then make the atmosphere thicker. 
um, kind of the opposite of what we're trying to do on the Earth, like global warming on Mars. Like put out as much CO2 as possible. Hmm. Um, but so far, we found a little bit of that type of rock, but not as much as we'd hoped. Um, and why would you go on vacation by the, to the Mars as uh, opposed to living a work there? Trip I mean, just because if it's kind of risky to go to Mars anyway to, mm-hmm. to begin with, you know, why make that a short thing or make it a frequent thing rather than a, or a relatively frequent thing rather than just a permanent trip? You know? Right. Well, I would go to Mars. I'd probably stay there for a couple of years. Oh, oh it was like two year vacation. Yeah. But okay. I, um, I think I love deserts and I love this barrenness of, and because I'm a geologist, I like to see all the rocks and stuff. But mm-hmm. if you spend enough time in deserts, it is an extraordinary feeling to come back to some place where there's wind and trees and rivers. Even if you live in Southern California for long enough, you go back to a place that's green and has rivers. I think there's some fundamental human urge to return to that kind so of So it's almost as if by going on that vacation, when you return from your vacation, you're returning to a paradise. Right. It's almost like your regular life is a vacation too. After yes, that, right? because I, it's I like went double, to, you're doubling up on vacations basically. I went to, I spent a couple months living in Antarctica in a tent and there's like nothing there, nothing alive. And it was, it was light all the time. So talk about a weird thing to do to your sleep schedule. And then I came back to New Zealand and it was summer in New Zealand and it was nighttime and there was humidity in the air and I was thinking what a paradise is this place you know just at the tarmac of the airport like can you feel the humidity in the air and you hear birds and all of these crazy things that you never notice unless you don't have them and you come back and you travel all over the world for your job Mm -hmm. because it all informs you of everything you do outside of earth yeah there's a lot of like we do so much work with others other countries and other scientists and other space agencies so part of it's traveling for that and which i feel like kind of bringing the world closer together and then the other part is just to explore these environments that are like the other planets is there anything you'd like to promote or anything or uh just well i guess i say we're landing on mars in november so stay tuned and we also have um, oh wait there's something new landing on mars yeah, there's a new oh, yeah. mission. Uh, it's a seismometer. So we're going to learn about the core of Mars. Oh. And so all the information we have about the core of the Earth, we're going to try and do again on Mars. And then we have another spacecraft that's visiting an asteroid coming up soon. It's called OSIRIS-REx. It's mm. going to get to the... It, we just saw the asteroid a couple of weeks ago, so we're very excited getting closer. And just stay tuned. NASA's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. There's spacecraft in orbit around Jupiter and orbit around the moon, Mars, and um, yeah, tons of cool stuff to explore. Does thinking about the universe ever just become too much for you to think about? (laughs) I I don't think so. I'm endlessly curious. So every Mm -hmm. time I think about the universe, I think about how lovely it is. And Newton would say that, you know, he was like a small boy standing on the, on the, beach of an ocean of knowledge and looking at pebbles that's what he thought his job was and that's what my job is too mm-hmm. it's okay that there's a huge ocean out there there's plenty more generations of humans to move us out bit by bit into the ocean do you feel like studying space and other planets it makes you see how small earth is i think so and, and do, you, do you think that the world is small Yes. And uh, my. Do you think it gets smaller as the years go by because of technology? 
have certainly like my my advisor he used to show his freshman year class this graph and it was a graph of space and time and he would point right down to the origin and he would say you spend almost all of your time here like today and around me you know on campus or something he's like the goal of this class is to bring you out just a little bit further to the whole universe and all of time (laughs) so I like just stepping a little bit out from the here and now into the infinity and forever and it's a nice feeling of perspective well thank you so much for um coming on the show and uh and sharing all this information yeah thanks for having me our guest has been laura kerber our engineer is aaron bruntgart thank you to donnie devonian for being here if you like the program you can go to itunes and rate and review it Um, you can also listen to the show on soundcloud There's a Facebook page. Um, You can also find information on allthingscomedy.com. My name is Brent Weinbach. The name of the program is Pointed Questions. Thank you for listening.